0: Father God, as we enter into this time, you know, we need you to provide us with the eyes to see and ears to hear your word. We pray your spirit would guide our thinking as, as we walk through this, Lord, and we ask that the things that could potentially be distracting to us this morning, whether it be a, a difficult week, or things that may have even happened this morning on the way to church, Lord, we pray that in your power and through your spirit that we would be able to set those things aside and we may focus on you. We pray, Lord, that your unrelenting desire for us to grow would be evident this morning, that by the time we leave here, Father, that, uh, that growth would be occurring in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, help us to be better bring glory to you. Father, as I speak this morning, I would just ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. What, nothing? <laughs> so now I know there are some of you out here that as soon as I said mathematics, you said I'm checking out. This is over. I'm not dealing with this sermon. Uh, it's not what I want to hear. Well, be patient with me if you would. Um, you know, I'm, you know, we're not going to be doing any algebra. We're not going to be doing calculus or any solving any complex differential equations, anything like that. We're not going to be doing pH, uh, pH modifications in a chemistry lab. Uh, and we're certainly not going to be doing any 3D printer coding that... Uh, you know, we use to sell stuff in our merch store with. So, um, some of you, though, some of your parents, right? And some of you are going to be actively involved in STEM in the very near future as school gets started back up again. Um, and you know, some of you are fervently praying that the Lord would give you strength and wisdom as you clearly need help getting your kids through another year of science and mathematics. So, you know, and that's because you're just not wired for STEM. You just, you just don't have that, that particular mindset. You know, many of you know that I'm an engineer, um, and, you know, so I think STEM. I also happen to be a, a beekeeper, so I think bees. And I also, I also happen to be a runner. Now, unlike some of us, um, you know, I've n- never, never run the Boston Marathon, Uh, I will never qualify for the Boston Marathon. Uh, My body just isn't built to be a Boston Marathoner. It's just not the way God created me. So, uh, you know, it's just not me. So we could spend weeks talking about and pointing out our differences, right? Uh, But I've titled today's message, Christian Togetherness, The Ties That Bind, you know, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter two, verse one. You know, our text today starts out. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I, I've got to admit, whenever we start when we start uh, a sermon and you're you're preaching and teaching on hypocrisy, it feels pretty hypocritical for me to be standing up here preaching about hypocrisy, because we all struggle with this. So this isn't, but that's not the first point of the sermon. You know, we could stop right there and say, Peter recognized that we all struggle with these things. You know, we all wrestle with malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Uh, But the ESV begins with the word, so put away. If you were to look at this in the NIV, it would say, therefore put away. And we know that whenever we see the word so or therefore, then he's, we need to look back into what has he just said, what has he just talked about, uh, and take a look at the preceding text to get a full understanding of the point that the author is making. So I want to take a quick, quick look at the verses preceding our text. And this is 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And it reads, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, So there, there are a couple of things that I just want to quickly flesh out. I'm going to call these the, the pre therefore things. So, um, so one is that the author is pointing to a sincere brotherly love, you know, and it's for, for one of us. It stems from a purified and pure heart. You know, we could go into a long study on whether on the type of love this is. You know, is it uh, the storage love that is the the love that a parent would have for a child, or is it eros or romantic love? Um, you know, is it agape love, which is the kind of love that God has for all mankind, or is it phileo love, which is the brotherly love that the Bible uses to describe those of us who have been uh, born again that unites us in, in Christ Jesus. So, um, and it just so happens that this is phileo love that we are talking about here. Phileo happens to be where the city of Philadelphia Um, gets its name and its motto, the city of brotherly love. Uh, But our study is not on, it's not a love study today, but when we see those two words together, brotherly love, especially when we see it's followed by from a pure heart, we know that we're talking about the phileo love. And you know, similar to, you know, that Phileo love is it's similar to the way the city of Philadelphia functions now, right? Totally united, lockstep in their belief systems, singular in purpose, never any disagreements. I'm, of, of course, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, they can't agree on whether or not they should be rooting for the, the Eagles or the New England Patriots. I, you know, it's just the way that the area works. Um, not unlike those of us who realize that the Cubs is the professional baseball team we should be rooting for and not the Cardinals. All right, that was for you Cardinal fans. So, of course, I'm, I'm kidding. And unfortunately, all too often in the church, we have similar disagreements over things that just really aren't critical issues, right? Um, you know, what songs to sing, what curriculum to use, you know, what color the, should the paint in the sanctuary be? Uh, you know, who decided to blank? You, you fill in your own issue, but we've all had those issues. You know, we've all done it, and at one point in time, we've become fixated on perishable things. You know, and it's not just at church, it's at work, you know, it's at home, it's, at, it's in the PTA, you know, it's in the scouts, uh, it's in the politics of school sports. This, that was a personal one for me you know, it's in the beekeepers association and that was hits home. Um, but it's also in the homeschooler groups. It's in government. It's with the people that we love most, our in-laws. You know, Peter's reminding the churches here in Asia and Asia Minor. Um, in fact, the point that he's really trying to drive to is going to be our baseline for our sermon today. And it's as applicable today as it was to the displaced churches at that time. And that is, and you can write this in your notes, the baseline is we are children of the same family. You know, we express the same love and we have experienced the same birth. You know, in verses 23 through 25, he points to that we have experienced the same rebirth. We're all born again. And we're all born again in the same fashion. We're called by the Holy Spirit, and we respond by faith in acknowledging our sinfulness, repenting of our sin, and accepting that Jesus is the Son of God and Lord of our lives. Every believer has done that. And as a result, we experience the rebirth and regeneration that comes with that. And in verse 22, Peter's connecting the ability to express the phileo love with being born again, you know. And so that, that experience is what is, is connecting us and how, we can t- how he can talk about phileo love. And recall that Peter's talking to the churches who've been dispersed throughout the region. So verses 24 and 25 in the text have been appropriated by Peter from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 verses six through eight. Where the prophet says a voice says cry and i said what shall i cry and all flesh is grass and it's all beauty and all its beauty is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the lord blows on it surely the people are grass the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever sound familiar so he's appropriating that. Now, what's interesting is in the sixth century is when Isaiah BC is when Isaiah would have said uh, would have said this. Um, you know, the prophet cries out this message to an Israelite nation that is hurting. They're discouraged, wondering where the God and where God and His covenant promises were were at. But despite what the nation might be feeling, the people might be feeling, you know, what. Isaiah was saying was God's promises are true. And in 1 Peter, we read that Peter, who is re- regarded as, an, uh, as the apostle to the circumcised, uh, once again uses these very same words of encouragement as to the first century Christians as was used to the 6th century B.C. Um, uh, Jewish uh, folks, Israelite nation. and a po- And being an apostle to the circumcised would mean that Peter is regarded also as the apostle to the Jews. You know, but here, Peter is not just talking to the Jewish people. He's not talking to just the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who in Jewish tradition would have readily recognized these words as coming from Isaiah. You know, he's he's making this transition from just Jew to Gentile as well, the new believers in Jesus Christ. Regardless of race, creed, ethnicity, uh, his message was to those who have received the gospel message and responded to it. And now here today, you know, in the year 2022, I did get that right, in 2022, we're receiving that same message um, and being reminded that the word of the Lord stands forever. God's promises are true, um, and the word that we have received received is the good news that was preached to you. And as we prepare to really get into the meat of our text this morning, we want to be reminded of what Isaiah also said immediately following this in chapter 40, verses 10 and 11, where he says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and he will tend, to his flock, tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we started with what? The word so or therefore, right? So therefore, since God's promises are true and therefore, since God's word stands forever and therefore, since God comes with power and might, And therefore, since the Lord will carry us closely to his bosom, we're exhorted by Peter to live a changed life, a life that's transformed because of the hope that we have in Christ, a life that is transformed by the fact that we've been born again. You know, we can see in in verse 1 here that, you know, Peter says, so or therefore, so put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy, envy, and slander, He says, lose the part of your life that looks like that of a non-believer. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And this text brings us to our first point. And I want you to write this down in your notes as well. As born again believers, we enjoy the same nourishment. First one is clear is a clear call to action by Peter. Be transformed, rid yourselves of the vices, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Um, the word all here is used three times. You know, it doesn't say some of the time. It, doesn't, it uses the word all because it's never appropriate. It doesn't say only put these things away when you're on good terms with your supervisor at work. Ouch. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say decease, deceit is acceptable whenever you uh, make your case stronger, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go. It says all. You know, Stoic philosophers in Peter's time would have argued the very same, very similar case. The, but the belief of the Stoic philosophers, and this is true even of our time, they would say you can do this under your own power. You know, control the things that you can. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy—you uh, have the strength under your own self-sufficiency, and you can set these things aside. But the Apostle Paul notes in Romans 7:15, "I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do." You know. Paul knows, and Peter recognizes as well back in first Peter um, chapter one, verse thirteen, that the only way to control these things is through the display of god 's grace, ongoing grace in the lives of the believer, you know, and in what Peter is doing here is he 's making a transition from what the personal holiness that Brother George talked about last week to what, what, is the, what does life look like? What is the impact of not walking in obedience um, to the word on the fellowship of believers? You know, the, these vices that he mentions here are in direct opposition to and incompatible with phileo or brotherly love. <clears throat> Moving on into to verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. You know, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, I want to be careful with this text because there are other texts in 1 Corinthians um, that uses the infant, uh, the infant analogy as well. But let's think of this scripture in this way. The instinct of a newborn is survival. The illustration in our text is is that the only way the child will survive is by feeding on a mother's milk. However, it goes beyond just longing for the milk. The text assumes that the infant is actually going to drink it. You know, many of you have child, have children. You know, they start out as infants. Mine did. I'm assuming yours did too. Um, You know, I can remember those nervous times when the kids, you know, wouldn't nurse like they should uh you know the when it was generally when it was time for them to to eat they ate you know and when they didn't yeah yeah all we always ask the question you know were they sick did they have a fever you know something was wrong what was it something just wasn't quite right and then they turned to teenagers and they ate everything in sight There's probably a sermon in there on gluttony or something. I'm not sure, but um, the, the point is the infant grows into a teenager. And as a teenager, they desire more to eat. You know, we talk about daily disciplines. We talk about them a lot here at Harvest. We talk about prayer, Bible study, worship, devotions, and generally being in God's Word daily. I would add to that the small groups that Andy had talked about earlier today, being in, in one for 14 years here at Harvest. Why do we talk about the daily disciplines? It shouldn't be out of duty, it shouldn't be out of compulsion, it shouldn't be because, because someone's checking up on me. Um, you know, not that we don't need that from time to time, because we do. In fact, we. Often need it more than we care to admit, but the scripture says we need pure spiritual milk, pure and spiritual. These are two adjectives that that um, amend the word milk or at least augment it pure when in this case, when used with reference to food, simply means it's unadulterated it's uncontaminated you know the, the this word, the word that the scripture uses in the Greek is only used one other place in, um, in scripture. And that's in, in Romans where Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So just as the milk provides physical nourishment, God's word provides spiritual nourishment for us. You know, there's a, there's a, and there's a nice connection here between the word in using what, that Peter's using when he uses the word pure. You know, and that is that Peter's saying that God's word is inerrant, without blemish, it's pure. You know, and in the context of the passage, we have fellowship with one another to help feed us. You know, we have Sunday morning preaching, it helps feed us. We have worship, we have Bible studies, they feed us. You know, and we have small groups to help us grow and encourage us to do the daily bliss disciplines that help to feed us. You know so if the only reason that we're engaged in disciplines or out of duty and compulsion, then we're like the Stoic philosophers you know back in, back in the day, and assume that self-sufficiency is enough, and through our own power that it, it can take us to where we need to be. but that's, that's not the case. It's only by grace. It's only by grace of God that enables us to do that. You know, what Peter is saying here is, if things are right in your relationship with the Lord, if you're dwelling, and as we heard last week, actions follow thoughts. You know, if our thoughts are placing the Lord in his rightful position of authority in our lives, then our craving for pure spiritual milk will be supplied. And as we feed, we grow day by day, week by week, and year by year. And as we grow, like a teenager, the cravings grow with us. And we actually eat the spiritual food that's presented to us, which is the word of God. And that's how we grow further into salvation. I want to transition to our next point. You can write this down in your notes as well. And that is, uh, we are stones of the same building. You know, we've already investigated Peter talking about the new birth that we have in, in Christ Jesus. You know, we've looked at what it means to have the craving for pure spiritual milk. But here, Peter lays out for us the beginning of, work, in the beginning of verse 4, a complete description of the Christian life. Look at this, let's look at the section of our text. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There it is, the complete description of the Christian life. If you don't remember anything else about the sermon today, remember this, the beginning of verse four, as you come to him, Notice that the phrase is positioned in between the metaphor of the newborn child and the house, the living stones. Verses four and five. We see the imagery here of the house that that follows. You know, a house, it's a foundation. It's a house comprised of living stones. You know, the notion, the notion that God's people of God's people as a as a house or a building or temple is a reapplication of old test of the Old Testament temple that can be traced to Jesus' words back in John two nineteen. As he was cleansing the temple and he said to the Jews who were questioning him, he said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You know, the idea of living stones being part of the reappropriated temple is further supported by the condemnation of, of Jesus to Peter when he said, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The imagery here is that you and I are becoming living stones and it's a strong imagery. You know, So I'm an engineer so many of my examples are f- filtered through things that I've seen on the job You know, I recall one time that we were working on a a very large concrete channel. Um, It was used to convey 125 million gallons of water a day from one point to another point. Um, And I need the ability to move more water through it. The problem was that someone in the past had built a giant concrete block in this channel. And, you know, that, that block and these are approximate numbers, okay? I didn't go back and research it, but it's approximately 30 feet long, six foot wide, 10 foot high. We're talking a big block. You know, it would require an engineering feat to successfully remove that rock or that um, block from the channel. Now, if you've ever been around it, y- you have to use special tools to do stuff like that. You know, you use a cutting change that's designed for slow-cutting concrete, and you cut around the perimeter of it until it breaks free from the concrete, and then you lift it out. So the task of cutting it takes hours and hours and hours. It's a very slow process. Um, But here's the thing. If the block were cut free and not actually removed and placed somewhere else, it would still be a restriction in the flow channel, in the flow line, right? It would remain a stumbling block. The same can be said of our Christian walk. And God has begun his work on me and he's begun his work on you. He's used sharp tools of many kinds in our lives. He's begun to separate you from the world and it's taken a long time to get you cut away. Even if it's only in part, he's taken a long time to get you there you You used to be altogether stuck in sin, just as the concrete was part of the channel, you know, worldliness was a part of who we were you know god been God's been using his chisel on us the the god shaped chisel, I don't know, but he's been using his his chisel on us. And yet to separate us from our past, to separate us from the darkness of this present age, and at the same time our hearts still hearts still cleave to sin. I wish the Holy Spirit would take that sharpest saw of all and just make clean cuts across all of our hearts. So that afterwards we're pure, we're holy set apart, that he can take us and move us in to be living stones in his foundation. On top of the, the foundation, we'd be living stones in, in the walls of the church. That's how the work of grace begins, by cutting loose the soul from the evil that, in the world that we live in living stones cannot come to the foundation until they are first removed from that quarry of sin. May God's grace continue to move many more living stones. You see, receiving and acting upon the call of salvation is the beginning, but God is placing you and I, his living stones carefully where he wants us in his church and it's for a lifetime of service to him. When we become his, we become, we become stones in his building, his church, and I praise God for his glorious skills as a carpenter. And by the way, carpet, you know, concrete work is often carpentry work um, in the trades. So, you know, Psalm 118.22 reads like this. The stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone Isaiah in 8.14 says, he will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. And verse, verse eight of our text discusses the stone as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They will be stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter uses the same Old Testament imagery to clarify to the church that there would be those who, there would be those who reject the gospel message, and at the same time, and somewhat you know, of a paradox, give reference to the election of believers that, that we enjoy. When he says to the unbelievers among them as they were destined to do, you know, the tension between the election of believers, those who believe, and the rejection of those who don't believe is a foreshadowing of the ongoing tension between us living in faith and living in the culture, living in the world around us. There's going to constantly be that tension. And so, knowing that we've been selected by the God of the universe, though, should give us as believers strength to cope with inevitable rejection that comes from living in, in the world that we live in. You know. Thirdly, the next point that I want to make is somewhat linked to what we've been talking about, and I want you to write this in your note as well. We are priests of the same temple. You know. This is. These are. I'm referencing both verses five and nine. Um, 5 says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. These two verses call call believers both a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood. Now remember that from the Old Testament that not just any man could uh, in Israel could serve at the altar, not just any man could go into the holy places of the temple. You know, Those duties were reserved for the de- descendants of the tribe of Levi, and those who served as priests were consecrated to God for, for their service. Albeit the priests at the time had various duties, they all served a single high priest uh, of the the temple. That all changed with Jesus. You know, in Hebrews seven, you know, we read that Jesus is both king and priest, our great high priest. You know, and as king, his throne of grace is a throne, his throne is a throne of grace through which we obtain by faith in him. Everything we need, everything needed for us to live a life for him is supplied And so, Christian, what does it mean for you to be in a royal priesthood? It means that you don't need any person on this earth in order to come to God. You know, I love the way Warren Wiersbe puts it, you know, when he says, in the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood. They had the Levites. They had a priesthood. But today, God's people are a priesthood. You know, the scripture tells us that there's one mediator between us and God. And in 1 Timothy uh, 2, verses 5 and 6, it puts puts it like this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. One mediator, crucified, died, buried, and on the third day rose again. And because Jesus Christ is alive in glory and actively interceding for us, we enjoy the freedom to go to the Father. And frankly, we have a responsibility to live lives worthy to be called priests. You know, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the tent of meeting, you know, the place where God dwelled in the Old Testament, it was a a special place. And every Jew and Gentile at this time, the time Peter's writing this, would have known about the priesthood that we're speaking. You know, you know, I mentioned the Levite priests would have been consecrated for God's service. You know, we have to ask the question, if the Old Testament Levite priest was consecrated to God's service, what does the fact that I am called to serve the great high priest as a priest in the royal priesthood imply? Let me first say that you know, we in verse five of our text today were called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Uh, you know, many of us know Romans twelve verses one and two, from, probably from memory in different versions. Uh, but the ESV says in you know in Romans 12, one, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Hebrews thirteen fifteen and 16 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of, the, fruit of lips that acknowledges his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. A spiritual sacrifice can mean giving of our bodies to him, as we see in Romans 12, the giving of praise from our lips, as we see in Hebrews 13, 15, and the giving of good works for others. All are to bring glory and honor to him. It's certainly not an exhaustive list, there's probably, there's as many ways to sacrifice of yourselves to honor him than there, than there are people in this congregation, right? Uh, you probably think of a dozen for yourself. Here, herein lies the $1.2 billion question. How are you sacrificing yourself to bring glory and honor to him? Where could you do more? Where should you do more? What ministries do I see going on around me that I could or should be helping out with? What is the Holy Spirit prompting me to do? Now, don't forget, we're talking about, we're talking about and making the point that we are priests in the same temple. The reference to the temple is a reference to the church. And Peter had written this letter to multiple people groups, multiple churches, the dispersed church, if you will. Yes, the church is made up of individuals, but in Christ, we are a holy and royal priesthood, which means that we are collectively giving of ourselves to bring him glory through the phileo love functioning of the church. You know, it's amazing when you think about it. It is absolutely stunning, amazing that we have been provided a way to go to God personally. And, and we should all be encouraged to do that. But the ability to do that and the ability to offer individual sacrifices to him shouldn't be considered by any one of us to be a green light for selfishness. We are priests together serving the great high priest in his spiritual temple. You know, God calls you and I into a love service for one another, and it brings him glory and honor when we do. I want you to write this down as your fourth point. We are citizens of the same nation. You know, we've seen that we enjoy the same nourishment and that we're stones of the same building and that we are priests of the same temple. The fourth point takes us to a little bit larger path and that is the path of a nation. But you are, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the, ex- proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. You know, God wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests. You know, he told Moses in Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai. Now, therefore, if you will will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine and you shall be To me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. It's right there. You shall become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God was telling Israel, I want you to be a spiritual influence of godliness on the godless nations around you. But Israel failed. This was an if-then statement, right? If-then if you indeed obey my voice. And we know that over and over again, God ended up disciplining Israel for their idolatry, idolatry that many times came about as the nation of Israel adopted the practices of the nations by whom they were surrounded. Israel was a chosen nation, chosen because God loved them. You and I are chosen because God loves us. John 15:16 tells us that we did not choose God, but he chose us. He chose us to be because of his love for us, and it's only by his grace that we are his. Philippians 3:20 tells us that in that choosing that we become citizens in heaven. We forget what that means. Nations keep citizenship roles, right? You know, I personally have never taken uh, taken an oath of citizenship, but when a person becomes a citizen of the U.S., they pledge that I will bear, and this is a quote, I will bear true faith and allegiance to the United States of America. They pledge that any allegiances they used to have are severed, any connection with any government or persons in power of those governments are being served. You know, in our unsaved state, we were not... God's people our allegiances were with Satan and with the darkness of this world the darkness things like malice deceit hypocrisy and envy slander but now in our safe state we are God's people a people that he purchased with his son's own blood and he did that because he loves us Acts 20:28 20, tells us that we are a people of his own special possession. What a privilege it is to be His special possession. What a privilege it is for us to be placed firmly on the solid foundation and become a living stone for His purpose and His glory. Proverbs 16:9 tells us, "Man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps." God has picked you up and placed you in his temple and established a work for you to do. What is that work? It's not a mystery, and it's not about doing it on your own. Individualism in the church can be a dangerous thing. You know, collectively, priests in a holy nation collectively we are citizens who have no right to be here but for the grace of god but because we are recipients of that grace we have responsibilities we have responsibilities to bear so let me ask again what is the work god has established for us to do the answer is found in first peter verse 9 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. It's not a secret, it's right there. You know, we enjoy the same nourishment, we're stones of the same building, we're priests of the same temple, and citizens of the same nation. Each one of these are pictures that point us to unity and harmony in the church as believers in Jesus Christ. Read through this list and ask yourself Is there any way I can be a part of the same building, or the same temple, or a same nation on my own? Is there any way I can be a royal priesthood on my own, or would I simply be a priest? These things can't always, we can't do these things on our own. You know, you might say, but wouldn't the church be boring if all we ever do is the same thing? I would, I personally, I would scream from the highest hill in Macon County, yes, boring. You know, but we want to be careful in that thought. Because if the same thing is proclaiming the excellencies of him who called me out of the darkness then that's what I'm called to do. That's what we're called to do. You know, boring, look at God's creation. It's anything but boring. He created mountains, flatlands, hills, valleys. You know, one flat I gotta admit, one flatland. if it all looked like between Decatur, Illinois, and Arthur, Illinois, super flat, that would be boring. But you know what? That's uniformity. That's not unity, which is what God wants in his church. He doesn't mind that we have differences. He doesn't mind that, that some of us are stem-wired and others aren't. You know, he, you know, our differences, though, they're perishable seed. You know, they're not, uh, they're not the important things. What we, what we do is in those differences, we still have the responsibility to proclaim him to a dark and broken world. You know, it's why in verses 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they speak, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know, Peter's talking here about how our lives, how to live our lives in a dark and fallen world He's saying, protect your witness before a watching world. Live a virtuous life while demonstrating that the Christian ethic is qualitatively different from the world. And perhaps most importantly, your Christian walk in that qualitative difference must be relevant to a non-believer. Can we say that? Let's pray, Father God, thank you so much for your word, thank you for the challenge today, Lord, to be um, you know, part of a royal priesthood. Thank you for the understanding, Lord Jesus, that you know we don't do this on our own, that we are not uh, you know, charged with doing it on our own but we place ourselves firmly upon the foundation of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior we thank you for this this saving grace that you've laid upon us and we thank you for the responsibility that you give us to be set apart as a royal priesthood as citizens of a citizens of a holy nation Lord we thank you for that we love you for it's in your name we pray, amen.